Welcome to The Day Shift, a podcast focusing on shifting the way we think and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare. My name is Dr. DJ Gaines, a hospitalist in San Diego. I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Brandon Barger. I'm a fourth-year medical student with UC Riverside. Today, we're discussing a super important topic, mental health and burnout. Yes, the topic of mental health and burnout has become a focus point in the medical field. Many institutions are implementing some form of education on mental health and burnout in their curriculum. Given the vastness of this topic, we have decided to make it a two-part series. In part one of our series, we will go over some of the basics of burnout and hear an experience from our first guest about how they dealt with burnout. In part two of our series, we will hear from our second guest about their experience with burnout and discuss potential sources of burnout and ways we can combat it. Let's cover some of the important basics of mental health and burnout. DJ, would you mind defining some burnout for us? Of course. According to the World Health Organization, burnout is, quote, a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed, end quote. They go on to say that it has three primary characteristics. One, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, two, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and three, reduced professional efficacy. I know myself and many of our listeners have experienced some, if not all, of these characteristics at some point during their training and career, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. I 100% concur. Even recent data from the American College of Physicians shows that about half of all U.S. medical students have experienced some form of burnout. And for residents, that number has been reported as high as 60%. For attendings, that it's also around 50%. So with such high numbers, this is a very timely topic for us to be talking about. Yeah, and you know, those numbers are quite high, but I'm not surprised, you know, just looking back. On my experience, you know, the stress that one experiences through medical school until attending hood is quite high, and it can really be compounded if there is a lack of support. Absolutely. And burnout, I think, has the, a really significant effect on our physical and mental well-being. It's been associated with increased rates of depression, suicide, substance use, medical errors, increased dropout rates from the medical field, and an increased physician turnover. And a lot of that data has been shown over the last couple of years, uh, especially because you had mentioned the COVID pandemic. Unfortunately, I think many of us have heard really tragic stories of our colleagues, our friends, our fellow trainees who have lost their lives as a result of burnout. Yeah, and we really could spend hours discussing the many aspects of burnout among medical trainees and attending physicians. But for this series, we felt that it would be more impactful to hear true stories from people who have experienced and dealt with burnout during their medical career. For the second half of this episode, we will hear from our first guest, Dr. Allison Ibarra, about her experience with burnout. For part two of this two-part series, we will hear from our second guest, Dr. Anand Jagannath, about his experience with burnout. Afterwards, we will discuss potential sources of burnout and how we can combat it. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Dr. Ibarra. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Day Shift, we call each other by their first name. Do you mind if we call you Allison? No, yeah, of course. Awesome. Thank you. So before we start, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
Yeah, so I am currently uh, finishing up my third year of internal medicine at UCSD. I think I'm like a week away, which is kind of crazy, but exciting. I'll be doing chief year next year, and I'm hoping to apply in a GI. I've been from California my whole life, and I've kind of stayed here for all of my training. And then I think otherwise, just some little things like I'm like first generation everything, which has played a role in my journey, Mexican college, med school. And then I also identify as queer, which has also played a role. And you have a wonderful dog. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) We'll keep that in the recording. Don't worry. (laughs) He's very vocal. He's opinionated. He wants to join. (laughs) Please drop his instagram handle uh in the chat and we'll make sure to put it in our show notes for sure will too so thanks allison for sharing a little bit about you and your journey as you know this episode is about mental health and burnout and as part of this episode we are asking folks at different points in their careers what burnout really feels like and looks like to them and how burnout has impacted their medical training at some level. Hopefully, how you have successfully combat burnout. And by sharing that, we can work together to not only combat root causes of it, but also help folks who may be in a similar position, just really humanize the process of medical training a bit more. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us any sort of times in which you have experienced burnout as a resident or any point in your training, what that sort of looked like for you? Yeah, I feel like that's a really interesting question, especially about the different stages. Because I like reflecting back, I think I've experienced burnout at multiple stages throughout my medical career, but maybe didn't quite realize that it was burnout kind of earlier on. I think like in medical school, I honestly really enjoyed my time. I got to meet new friends. I lived in San Francisco, which was amazing. And honestly, third year was my favorite year, even though I know that's like a hot take, but I really enjoyed it. And I think it wasn't until studying for step one, that's probably the first time that I actually experienced burnout. My school, we did it after third year. So I just remember studying and it became like super monotonous. You would see friends, but not really hang out with them. And I ended up having to take extra time to study for step one before taking it. So I think that kind of played a role in my mental health too. But I do remember just like the stress of all of that kind of piling up on top of me. I remember like walking from my home to like my coffee shop and then from the coffee shop to the library. And then like in between during those walks, I would just be like crying on the sidewalk, (laughs) which like in hindsight was definitely not normal. And I, I think around then is when I realized I kind of needed some help. I don't think I had thought of it as burnout, but looking back, I think that was burnout. And that's actually when I started seeing therapy for the first time, uh, which I think was super helpful. I've seen them intermittently throughout my medical career. Like that was one of the big times that I saw them. And then I kind of took a little pause when I moved for residency over here to UCSD. And then I actually started seeing them again, I think like midway to the end of my intern year, end of an intern year to like beginning of R2 year. Because I think that's where Another point when I had burnout, and then I actually realized that it was burnout, I was going through a pretty tough time. I mean, intern year is rough on everybody. Like, your schedule is crazy. You don't see loved ones for a while. I mean, it's really fun being on the job here. Like, I love all my co-residents, and they make the day worth it, and so do my patients. But at the end of the day, it's, like, hard on you mentally and physically. 
And around that time, I also ended up coming out, which went well with some people. And unfortunately, with other people, it didn't go so well. So that was another thing that was weighing on my mental health. And, you know, applying it to gastroenterology, there's a lot of stuff on my plate. I was trying to do research at the same time and didn't I started to realize that my research was getting away from me. Like I wasn't being responsive to things like I used to be. I was missing meetings. I was missing emails and was kind of starting to feel like overall pretty down. Wasn't really looking forward to hanging out with friends anymore and was kind of like felt like I was fighting back some kind of like wall or like wave that was about to crash over me, but like trying really hard to resist it. And I actually ended up talking to one of my co-residents who also went to med school with me and were super close um, and kind of telling her everything about how I felt uh, is how she actually helped me realize that I actually had depression. And then through that, I was able to go back to therapy and get on medication and honestly feel like way better after that and kind of get back on top of things. Obviously, medications and therapy isn't like a, a fix all. I would say that I still have some burnout ebbed and then kind of came back, I think, in third year a little bit. Um, our schedule was I think, a little rougher than it had been in the past. So a little bit of burnout from that. And I think I'm still trying to learn completely how to overcome it. I don't know if that's a journey that you'll ever finish, kind of like imposter syndrome. Like it's something I've been battling my entire medical career uh, and I'm finding ways to fight against it. But I don't know if I'll ever fully overcome it, just like find new ways. I think one of the best ways that I've been able to work through burnout, honestly, is just talking to people. I feel like that's not, that's something that we don't do enough in medicine. We talk about like our successes and maybe like cool patient stories, but I feel like we don't spend enough time talking about the times that we didn't do as well as we had hoped, or maybe the times that we didn't get something that we had wanted. So when that happens, it almost feels like you're all alone and that everyone else is succeeding, but you're not kind of like that imposter syndrome thing again. But once you actually start talking about it, you realize that everybody else is feeling the exact same way that you are and that you're not the only one who's gone through hardships. And there's other people who want to help you who are your friends in your program or just friends in general. And I think once I started talking more about my struggles is when it started to be easier to handle. And then it's actually interesting. I started to have people come up to me who are going through similar struggles who I honestly hadn't really talked to before or didn't really know. And they just came to talk to me because they had heard that I had gone through something that they had gone through and I actually made some friendships in medical school that way, which was like a really cool like byproduct of just like really being open. And I feel like that openness would just help, I think, the mental health overall within healthcare, because we hold ourselves to like an impossible standard. And I think as we all realize that that standard is impossible to reach, then we all become more okay working with each other to try to attain something along those lines. I really liked your story. And there's a lot of things I think, you know, we could expand upon too, or just touch upon. I think something really important is not it's like some people do not. Another thing I really like too is talking to other people you see that there's a lot of people going through the same struggles that you are going through. And I think that's probably the most important thing because we can internalize a lot of things and then we get, get kind of cyclic thinking in our head. Uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I did the wrong thing. And so I, I think it took me a while personally to kind of get to that stage where if I'm, especially like on the wars and I think I, you know, I'm not sure what I'm doing, I always just talk to my colleagues or even. I don't think it's 
fair, you know, that people have to go through this, but I do appreciate when folks are open and willing to share that story. Cause again, I think it humanizes physicians and medicine and healthcare workers in general for the stress that we not only place ourselves under, but the stress that our systems place us under. What sort of support systems do you think that you have both taken advantage of as well as things that you think we should be expanding upon so that this kind of coupled effect of burnout and mental health doesn't start to get worse or spiral? Yeah, I think the support systems is a really important thing to touch on. Mine kind of changed throughout my journey. I think in medical school, it was a lot friend, like friends. Like I made a super tight friend group. We still talk to each other, even though we didn't all go to the same like residency program. And it just being able to like commiserate with them, honestly, and then help each other, like bolster each other. There was block or two that I didn't pass the first time in medical school and went through the whole like, oh my gosh, why am I here? I don't belong here. And was pretty like, you know, worried and felt pretty down about it. And then I found out that my roommate, who's one of my really good friends, actually hadn't passed that same block too. So we were able to talk about it together and kind of like help each other study for like the upcoming like makeup exam. And that was like very helpful. I think one of the hard parts about residency and um, I would say maybe specifically for like residents across the board for my year of residency is that we started residency in the middle of COVID um, and COVID before the vaccines came out. So when we started residency, you actually were allowed to hang out with each other because of the risk of spreading COVID and the impact that can have like on the healthcare system and on the program and that we just all had to stay safe and healthy. So that really impacted one of the big support structures, which is the ability to like make bonds, make new friends. Your co-interns are supposed to be some of like your best friends for life. And it was really hard to get to meet each other in like safe ways during that time. Um, So I think that's what made it pretty difficult. And I think that's what's honestly made, I think like the burnout across the board, my residency year kind of be higher maybe than, than in the past. Uh, we're like the COVID class and we just, the impact from not being able to make friends and honestly, kind of just like a lot of trauma that comes along the lines of like starting your medical career, starting your career as a doctor when uh, there's a pandemic going on and nobody knows what's happening for the support systems. Yeah, it's really my friends. My family's been there to help me as well. I actually lived with my little sister my intern year. So having her there at home was really great to come back to and like laugh and kind of get my mind off of it. She wasn't in medical school yet. so. It was nice to not talk about medicine for a little while. And then I guess another area that maybe a lot of other people started doing too during COVID is I got a puppy and (laughs) he's definitely been great support. It's actually registered as like my ESA and especially during the hard times, sometimes it's just nice to have somebody there who's going to be there for you. Like no matter what can be comforting to have on the couch and when times get really tough, honestly, like forced me to get out of the house to go for a walk to take him outside and to take care of him and take care of myself as well. So I think that's a support structure that I hadn't really expected. Um, and then one in medical school that I really, I felt like there was a bigger role for it in medical school than I've noticed in residency is um, kind of just like built in support structures into the program itself. So like, like first generation in medicine, um, LMSA or the Latino Medical Student Association. We had like a LGBTQ organization at our medical school. Like being able to be in those communities and like have people who can empathize with you and your experiences. And then also have the ability to connect to mentors who have gone through what you have gone through and want to help you kind of, 
you know, move up the chain, move up the ladder, continue to succeed because coming from some of those backgrounds, you don't necessarily know the beginning steps that everybody else knows. Like I remember like going to an AMSA meeting for my first time in undergrad and they were talking about like an MCAT. And I was like, what the heck is an MCAT? Like I have to take another test. Like I took like the SATs. What's this other test that I had to take? And then through undergrad, honestly, just like learn what it took to apply to medicine because it was new for me and for my family. I was the first college grad. And actually, because of part of that, one of the things that I've been working on this past year and I'll be working, continue to work on as chief is um, I'm actually working with the program to create an LGBTQ and GME uh, community. And our main goal is just to create a community space for members who identify as LGBTQIA plus to be able to meet and hang out with each other and kind of just like empathize with each other through this whole experience of residency from like multiple departments and hopefully create some kind of like mentorship. We have like quarterly meetings where we really just like, you know, kind of have like drinks and snacks and talk to each other and, you know, support each other through this and provide that sense of community that when I was asking people around, it was a community that they wanted that hadn't been provided yet. So it seemed like a good place that I could step in. I think something that's really important you brought up is the transition of going from medical school to residency in terms of medical school, there's more structures just kind of given the nature of medical school, you're kind of there to learn. But when you go to residency is a little different. I think, you know, trying to create these initiatives just to have a space, just to hang out, just to talk to people so that you're not wallowing alone, like in these situations and internalizing all these feelings that you're having. Uh, when you're dealing with mental health and burnout, I think is really important. And so I think it, it it's it gets it's hard in some ways, and I think like you're like you mentioned before, it's a journey in trying to apply the things that you learned in the past into like these new spaces that you find yourself in. And it's hard sometimes. You mentioned uh, you know coming home at the end of the day and finding opportunities to not talk about medicine, and I think that is something we as physicians and physicians in training are terrible at we find opportunities at all times to talk about our jobs talk about our patients talk about you know the stressors and the administrative hurdles and the bureaucracy that is a hospital what are some of the topics that you enjoy talking about that are not medicine related because that's a really good point honestly I think that's a lesson I didn't really start learning until like around now-ish, like when you start residency, medicine becomes your whole life. And then when all your best friends are also in medicine, it becomes your everything. Thank you. I appreciate that. To you previously mentioned how you started this journey of intermittently starting and stopping therapy, getting on medications, doing things that were right for you. I think obviously that's a very personal decision for a lot of people, but for folks who may be feeling in a similar position, but don't necessarily know where to go or who to lean on, what to look for. Do you have any particular advice or resources that you really stand that you think could be helpful to other people sort of in this similar situation? Yeah, I think a big thing to remember is that just because you start something doesn't necessarily mean that you need to continue it, which I think could be like a very intimidating thing for some people like, oh my gosh, I'm going to start therapy. What if it's not right for me? I'm going to have to talk to somebody. What if I start medications? What if I don't like how it feels? Um, What if it makes me feel weird and different? 
the nice thing is just that you can always stop it or talk to your therapist about a different option. Or if you don't like one therapist, go find another therapist. Might be that you just don't really jive with this person. So I think that's one important thing to keep in mind. Unfortunately, it is really hard to get mental health care right now. And part of that is because it's so impacted, which on the one hand is almost like reassuring because like, you know, you're not alone because everybody's trying to get the same kind of help that you're getting, but it doesn't make finding it easier. For me, what's always been helpful is that I guess I've been lucky or I've been blessed that my institutions that I've practiced medicine in or been on this journey with have always had a mental health resource. So in um, medical school, I talked to the mental health counselors that were available to like through student health. Here in residency, we have an amazing program called the HERE program, which is kind of like our own mental health resource as well. I didn't see their their counselors because I was looking for a more um, like longitudinal or like long term thing, but they were able to get me in touch with therapists and even get in touch with a second list of therapists when the first round didn't really quite work out. Um, There's also a bunch of like apps out there for people to use. And I think Ginger is an app um, that our program offers. I tried the apps out. They weren't really for me. I think just like typing out my uh, feelings just took way too long. And I'm too lazy to do that. (laughs) I kind of like the in-person thing, partially because it's like a mental thing. I like to go somewhere and be like, this is a room where I'm just going to dump my feelings out and I'm going to cry. And then when I leave, I can leave them fine, just for a little bit, at least until next week. And then even just free applications as well. I've I've tried Calm Out, which is great for like meditation and even just breathing, breathing. They have like, I guess, like breathing apps that you can go through where like the ball will expand and contract slowly and you're supposed to time your breathing to it. I've also done Headspace um, to try to do some guided meditations. And then also for some like, like nighttime recordings that help you fall asleep or guide you through a meditation to fall asleep. And I think another thing to remember through this journey is to be gentle with yourself. And that's something that I, it took me a while to learn. Like I've tried all of these things because I tried them for a little while, maybe really liked it. And then eventually like fell off the bandwagon. Like I've been trying to get back to meditating for like, oh my gosh, years. And I'll meditate maybe for like a couple of days or like maybe a month if I'm lucky. And then I'll like fall off the bandwagon. And I think I used to be really hard on myself. Like, why aren't you meditating? Like, you know, it makes you feel better. You should be doing this like a lot of time for it. But having that like harsh voice against yourself doesn't really help when it feels like the whole world is like talking down on you. You have to be there to talk yourself up, which can be really hard, but it's important to remind ourselves of. So I've learned to, you know, try something. And if I don't do it today, that's okay. Maybe I'll be able to do it tomorrow when I have like a little bit more space. But overall, just like continuing to like work on trying to essentially make myself feel better so I can be better for myself, be better for my friends and family and, you know, be be better for my patients as well. Well, thank you, Allison, for sharing all that with us today. We really appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to love hearing your story. Are there any take-home points you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I think my first take-home point would be to just to be kind to yourself and to remember that you, you know, you are important and you're worth your own time and investment. I mean, all of us on this medical journey obviously know how to dedicate ourselves to stuff and to work hard. And I think throughout that, it's easy to forget 
that you need to work on yourself too and invest in yourself because you're just as important, if not more important than that test you're studying for, than that research project that's waiting on you. I think that's an important thing to remember. And I think too is like that you're not alone. There's other people who are out there who are feeling exactly how you are during this journey. And there's people out there who want to help you. And it's hard to reach out for help, but it's always important to remember to do so. The thing I try to tell myself is if a friend was to talk to me about this right now, would I want to help them? And the answer is yes. So I should be nice and give my friends the opportunity to help me too. Just like I hope that they give me the opportunity to help them. Yeah, I think those would be my two big points. Thank you. That was beautifully said. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Day Shift. As always, we encourage you to keep the conversation going by following us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at the handle at the day shift or emailing us at thedayshift at gmail.com. And that's day spelled D-E-I. You can also head to our website at www.thedayshift.com to access further resources on this topic, as well as our learning objectives, show notes, and a full transcript of this episode. And don't forget to claim your CME and MOC credits for listening to this episode at the link that will be in our social media posts and on our website. We hope you can join us next time. The Day Shift podcast and its guests provide general information and entertainment, but not medical advice. Before making any changes to your medical treatment or execution of your treatment plan, please consult with your doctor or personal medical team. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by The Day Shift. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the Day Shift team are those of each individual and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Day Shift team and its guests, employers, sponsors, or organizations we are affiliated with. The Day Shift podcast is proudly sponsored by the American College of Physicians, Southern California Region 3 chapter. Our theme music is brought to you by Chris Dingman. Learn more at www.chrisdingman.com.